Last week, we discovered that Christians are called to be unbelievers as well as believers. While there is much we are to believe, there is also much we are not to believe. We must never forget that there are many false prophets in the world today who teach things contrary to God's word, things that are not to be believed. Now, these false prophets are often subtle, and much they say sounds good, so John inserts a warning in the midst of his teaching on love to remind us that not we can't let ourselves be fooled by love talk, because all talk of love and acceptance from God is not from God. It's a favorite of the false prophets. He also reminds us of the reality of demons, which means even that which seems to be supernatural may not be from God. We cannot believe something to be true simply because we can't explain it. So John tells us to test the spirit behind a teaching, and he tells us to do so by examining the teacher's view of the incarnation of Christ, his divine nature, his virgin birth, if you please. If someone does not attest to the fact that Jesus has come in the flesh, he is not of God. And he must not only claim to believe it, he must confess it, the word that John used. He must wholeheartedly agree with what the biblical record has to say about the birth of Jesus. It's, it's an essential doctrinal belief that assures us who he is and how he came to dwell among us. When we apply that test to religious voices that claim to be Christian, we discover that some are actually of the Antichrist. They're anti-Christian. Because, as John makes clear, anyone who does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh is of the Antichrist. Now, that's frightening when you think of the influence of the Antichrist here on earth and with so many people under the influence of unchristian leaders, you can't help but be concerned about the future. But John's not going to let us be swallowed up by pessimism and worry about the future just because the Antichrist is so readily seen in our world. He reminds us that even though the spirit of the Antichrist is prominent, the spirit of truth will win. God's Holy Spirit will be victorious. That's the message of reassurance that John goes on to deliver. We pick that up in the fourth chapter of 1 John. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. 
He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. While John here reassures us of the victory of the spirit of truth, he also realistically reminds us that the spirit of error will have a large hearing in the world. But he also reminds us how we can distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, thus making it possible for us to always follow the spirit of truth. We begin with the assurance that the spirit of truth will win. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, you refers to John's readers, the Christians. Them refers to the false prophets. The false prophets, with all their cunning and their polish and their sweet-sounding doctrines, had failed to draw the faithful Christians away from their faith. The Christians had overcome the false prophets. I'm sure John's first readers were very encouraged to hear that they had won. But how? Were these early Christians able to overcome these satanically empowered false prophets? Well, I think we can learn how they did so by noting what isn't said about their victory. John doesn't say they overcame them by their superior intellect. Apparently, they hadn't beaten the prophets at their own game by out-debating them. Now, that's not to say they didn't know what they believed, only that they hadn't spent all their time studying false teachings to be able to respond to everything they said. No, it wasn't their extensive knowledge of religious or even pagan thinking that had assured their victory. It was the one who indwelt them who had overcome the false prophets. You see, Christians are not alone in the spiritual battles they face. John makes that very clear when he says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Christians have the Spirit of God within them. God's Holy Spirit lives in their hearts, and the Spirit of God is greater than he who is in the world. Now, that assurance not only pertains to our personal battles against sin and Satan, but also to the battles that take place on a much larger scale. You know, when men all around us are giving in to the numerous teachings of the Antichrist, when traditional outposts of Christianity buckle under to liberalism or pragmatism or woke thinking, when former men of faith and vision forsake the simple gospel of Christ for some new revelation, when it appears that the arguments of the enemy are strong enough to loosen anyone's moorings of faith, 
we need to be reminded of the greatness of the power of God. God is greater, incomparably greater than the wisdom of the enemy. And God's spirit lives within us. You know, even when it appears that the enemy is winning in the world, we need to remind ourselves that the spirit of Jesus lives within us. And Jesus has already defeated Satan. In John 16.33, we read, These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus has already won the victory. And we will also overcome the false prophets if we'll trust our Savior and our relationship to him. And I think it's interesting that John refers to these Christians as little children. He has a fatherly affection for them, and that may be reflected in his calling them little children, but he's no doubt also expressing the fact that they must trust their Heavenly Father as little children trust their father. You know, a child's faith in her father is a beautiful thing. Believe it or not, I can still remember Nikki jumping into my arms from the table when she was a toddler. Rather than reasoning like an adult, you know, what if he misses? What if he gets distracted? What if he doesn't care? She had childlike faith in me. He's my daddy. He loves me. He won't let me fall. And she just kept jumping. There are times when simple childlike faith in a loving Heavenly Father is much wiser than the logical thinking of the adult human mind. And this is especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. Now, the arguments of the false prophets can sound convincing. Their logic can seem impeccable, but they're wrong. And once we have come to faith in Christ and experience his faithfulness, his provision for our needs and the strength he gives that makes possible a life that honors him, we don't have to question and doubt our understanding of him every time some new teaching comes along. We know him, and we can trust him. Yeah, and most of us do realize that due to the limits of our understanding, there are times when we do have to trust Someone. When it comes to working with electricity, unless we're trying to save money, like Mark and I did last week replacing an exit sign, most of us wisely call an electrician. If we don't, and even if we know not to touch a wire unless we're sure the electricity is turned off, which I thought was but wasn't, the results can be shocking. 
You know, an electrician knows things about currents and grounds that I don't and knows how to make sure wires can be touched. A good electrician knows what he's doing. And we must trust those who know what they're doing. You know, there are obviously some things of a spiritual nature that we don't fully understand. And there are times when we shouldn't trust our own understanding or even those who claim to understand. But there is one who does. And the writer of Proverbs points us to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, Jesus knows all there is to know in the spiritual realm. He has taught us the basics, and he has proven himself reliable, so we can trust him in the areas we don't understand. If we'll trust him, no false prophet can shake us loose from faith in him by bringing up something we haven't thought about or something we can't answer. Even if we don't have the answer, we know he does. So we don't have to know everything if we know him. The spirit of truth will win. In fact, it already has. And we will win too, as long as we hold fast to the spirit of truth and not be swayed by the popularity of false prophets. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. They refers to the false prophets. And John reminds us of a very important fact here. The false prophets are from the world. Now, Paul told us Satan is the god of this world because the majority of men have made him their god, So it only stands to reason that the world will listen to false prophets. And we shouldn't be shocked to discover ourselves in the minority. John says the world will believe its own. And anti-Christian teachings are widely held in the world. We should also be aware that much that is taught by false prophets is not viewed as anti-Christian, or even thought to have religious implications. But it is, and it does. It would even appear that much of it was intentionally designed by spiritual forces to undermine our faith and the faith of our children. Evolution. The natural progression from lesser forms to greater forms permeates biological and social sciences. If it's believed, man is not the special creation of a God to whom he's responsible 
and the scriptures must be judged as myth. The underlying assumption in psychology is that man is basically good and not someone with a sinful nature inherited from Adam. And the understood key to successful living is accepting self, not denying self. Biblical teaching on the roles of mom and dad, male and female, authority and discipline, cohabitation and divorce have all been overthrown by society. Life and death questions for the unborn, the living, and the about to die have been relegated to the medical community. And destructive or antisocial behaviors have all been put under a medical model, destroying the concept of personal responsibility. You know, on and on it goes. Popular, yet false teachings that permeate our society and are accepted by the majority. We must never forget that all teaching, sacred and secular, must be judged to see if it is the truth. And we cannot believe something to be true simply because society accepts it and the majority believes it. So how can we discern truth from error? John's not shy about telling us. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We refers to the apostles. John is simply saying, listen to the apostles if you want to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, the apostles are not here today. And no preacher or teacher has in and of himself apostolic authority. But apostolic teaching is still available. John is saying that everyone who knows God will listen to what the apostles have to say. They will accept what they have said as the very word of God and the final authority. That means all teaching must be judged by the scriptures. Now, that's not to suggest that everything was addressed by the prophets and apostles, but even if something unaddressed obviously comes into conflict with what God has said, it must be rejected as being false. God's word is the measuring stick to determine what is true. And the Bible is not as vague as 
many would like to believe. You know, how often have you heard someone say, well, that's only your interpretation, when trying to demonstrate the error of the teaching by using God's word. That gets thrown back in our face. That's just what you think. That's what you interpreted. Now, it is true that there are some differing interpretations, and religious authorities do differ. But just because religious leaders can't all agree doesn't mean the word of God isn't clear. You know, some have simply rejected what they don't want to accept. And others just twist a passage to make it fit into their preconceived notions. Many religious leaders, in fact, have proven themselves to be of the Antichrist by their denial of the central truths about the person of Christ. Don't let them undermine your faith in the reliability of God's word. And don't let honest differences of opinion on difficult texts undermine your faith in the overall clarity of God's word. The Bible was written to guide, not to confuse. It can be understood. Using appropriate tools of interpretation and good study techniques, the truth can be made obvious. God's word can and must be the final authority in our life. We must judge everything by the word of God, not by our own understanding what we think or how we feel. That's the only way. Trusting completely in God's word. That's the only way to be assured that what we believe is the truth. That's the only way to live, not by lies, but by the truth. And it's the only way to be assured of spiritual victory in a world dominated by the spirit of error. John told the early Christians they had overcome the false prophets. And that victory can be ours. We will overcome the world if we trust and obey the spirit of truth. <laughs>